Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pepys, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is poet Aaron Baker. He's an associate professor in the Department of English at Loyola University, Chicago, where he teaches creative writing. Baker's first collection, Mission Work, published in 2008, won the Catherine Bakeless Award for a first book of poetry and the Glasgow Shenandoah Prize for Emerging Writers. His poems have appeared in the New England Review, Poetry Northwest, Missouri Review, and The Rumpus, among others. Baker's second poetry collection, Posthumous Noon, published in 2018, won the Barry Spax Poetry Prize. Baker gave a reading at the University of Oregon on February 14, 2024, as a guest of the Creative Writing Program. Welcome, Aaron. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. So tell us first a little bit about your background and how you came to be a poet. Okay, yes. Um, I am actually from Washington State, and my father was a logger and a preacher, and my mom uh, was a kind of war orphan, grew up in an, uh, uh, an orphanage in Germany before <coughs> moving here and meeting my dad. And my dad uh, took us to Papua New Guinea uh, when, we, when I was little, and um, I was, I think, pretty socially isolated, I think, as a lot of writers uh, are, uh, and that was a, a kind of... Um, avenue for of adventure and uh, imagination um, in a time and a place when uh, I didn't have a lot of other outlets and so I, I, I really started reading uh, fiction mostly and then at some point I think I bridged over into the dark side. <laughs> you know? I became a poet I think a, as a sophomore in college reading Wallace Stevens poem um, uh, Sunday morning that ends with this magnificent image at the end that I still carry around with me. It's, and in the isolation of the sky, at evening casual flocks of pigeons make ambiguous undulations as they sink downward to darkness on extended wings. And there's something about that poem's connection to, to religion, Christianity and my family's religion that really spoke to me. And I thought, damn, this is what I need to do. And, and uh, that's what I did. And so here I am. So you mentioned your experience as a child of missionaries uh, in Papua New Guinea, and your first collection, Mission Work, reflects on those experiences. So um, you've already spoken a little bit about how that experience shaped your life, but do you think it shaped your poetry? I think it did, yes. I, I, I think living overseas uh, um, put, made me mindful of the fact that, that the world is, is larger and more diverse and... Uh, there, there are things in heaven and earth <laughs> not spoken of in our philosophy or any philosophy, and there's, there's a, a need to kind of make your way through, um, make your way through the world uh, by a kind of attention and alertness uh, to, to your exter the external world and the internal world where language lives for me. Um, and I think that that's uh, had a lot to do with, um, to do with, with, with my origins as a poet and, and, and this book. Um, so that was the answer to your question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you mentioned your father as a, a logger and a preacher. He passed away in 2009, and the most recent collection from 2019, Posthumous Noon, which you have right there, is ded dedicated to him, and many of the poems reflect upon his life and his death. So first, tell us a little bit more about him. Yes, he um, was... Uh, he was very committed to his faith, to, 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 to his religion. He actually um, 
uh, graduated from the University of Washington. He was uh, uh, in anthropology and sociology, which I think prepared him somewhat for that, that experience in, in, in New Guinea. Um, and he was a, 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 a very uh, sort of imposing and energetic figure and um, someone who I had a complicated, I think, relationship with, uh, a lot of a lot of love and a lot of tension. I had, as an adolescent as well, I was sort of rebellious. Um, and I think a lot of that comes, comes out in the work, you know, there, there's a kind of uh, drawing in and also repulsion or, or, or and that's, the, that's too strong of a word, but a, a friction um, with my dad that I think um, was very present in the first book. And in the second book, which is about his death, um, I'm struggling through those things all the time. So that's, that is the right question. You know, my dad, who, who is my dad and what's my relationship with him? And this was my, my way of, of deal, wrestling with those questions and those issues. And uh, my, the book came out of that, that experience. So would you, would you read us a poem from Pastor Miss Noon? Sure, I'll read the first, uh, the first poem. It's called, um, I remember title. Yeah, here we are, Late Pastoral, and it begins with an epigraph from Hamlet. Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart. Come, parting dark waves of chlorophyll into the last west in the northern woods. Such a short walk from the meadow, just a few syllables shifting. Say eros without sibilance, error, thickened shadows, failing arterial light. Now eternal care pronounced internal terror. Vowels pass between the consonants as wind passes between the stripped branches. Forgive becomes forego. The afternoon simmers, blue blossom and devil's club again becomes a go. Thank you. There's a little uh, hint of um, Tolstoy, the death of Ivan Ilyich, the end of uh, the again becomes a go uh, line. And, the, the, and uh, this happens to me a lot. I, I bring in allusions from, every, from all sorts of different places and uh, that actually becomes a starting point a lot of times and I think Maybe that happened here. <laughs> so, uh, g given what you just said, one of the poems is titled Three Lines from Stevens. You just, you just recited from memory the end of Sunday morning. Uh, and that poem responds to three section headings of Wallace Stevens' poem, uh, Notes Toward a Supreme Fiction. Mm -hmm. So, uh, first, why do those three lines, it must be abstract, it must change, it must give pleasure, resonate for you and your writing? Yes, I maybe I'll just read that one. Okay, fine, yeah. yeah. Um, and these uh, lines, it must be abstract, it must change, and, and it must give pleasure, are kind of counterpoints. I think I incorporate um, the ideas, but then also sort of maybe maybe question them in in the poem. Uh, let's just let's hear it. Three three lines from Stevens. It must be abstract. Dose me. Laid out like pinned butterflies, they rock back their chins in the terminal ward. Can they hatch new life from their throats? Variations on a theme, yes, of course. We float down the river of ice. Dose me again, time for the most common profundities. I too could become, and sometimes am, a mindless object for another's contemplation. 
The Seattle rain comes at the window sideways and bleers my reflection. I've got part of this down. There's always someone to bring the needle, to circle the blue hours with wings at their shoulders through a song like the coldest of winds. It must change. I am able to hold perfectly still for hours while remaining in motion. Funny thing, I dream, and what I dream is exactly what I see when I wake. Are you comfortable, Dad? I've slept in this chair for a week, afraid even to slip out for a styrofoam cup of hospital soup. It must give pleasure. Are you comfortable, Dad? But he's not here, and I'm not either. We move easily upon the frozen surface, the river bottom gliding below, sand and little stones, a chill breeze, prisms of light drifting around us, a better sleep, a, a newer breath, the almost perfect clarity of thoughtlessness. Um, yeah, I think there was something about the, the, the coldness and the authority of Wallace Stevens as the, you know, this voice I heard in the background that I think maybe in some ways in this moment got mixed up with my dad, you know, and his authority and his power. Um, and uh, th there's a kind of, uh, I think, a little bit of irony to, in there, kind of dark, a, a dark, <laughs> dark irony. Um, and the, the experiences of sitting with my dad as he pa passed in the, um, in the hospice. And uh, I think the poem is also about the difficulty of, of writing elegy and the difficulty of that experience. I, I think that um, uh, watching a loved one die, a parent, um, maybe someone you have a complicated relationship with, um, and this is, this is it, you know, this is the exit. Um, it feels sort of um, like the most profound and important, significant thing in your life or that could happen. Uh, and at the same time, it's completely cliche. Uh, you know, like, like this, this, this is just, it's, it's the, the rest of the world goes on. And um, in some ways, the person you care about, the world doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. And your relationship has to change in this fundamental way. Uh, and it feels, uh, it feels also wrong to make art out of that. It feels exploitive. It feels uh, like sell, you know selling your trauma, you know. Or something. And so there's, I had some issues about that, and I think I, you're, you may be hearing that I still do. Um, and uh, it, it does feel it, it does feel difficult to to write from from that place um, in a non-exploitive, serious way that's true to the experience without you know, w without milking it in, 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 a, in the wrong way. I don't know, it's, it's hard to write elegy. In fact, you say <clears throat> in the poem February Nocturne, elegy fails unless it ends in resurrection. Yeah, so it always fails. It always fails. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's right. So, uh, apropos of that, and you've already started to speak to this, um, do you think that Posthumous Noon is an elegiac volume? I think it is. Yes, I, I'm willing to to classify it as that. I think there's there's other things happening in there um, uh, as well. I I'm very engaged with um, questions of just uh, constructed experiences made of the imagination and language and memory and going into places that 
feel very uh, maybe almost out of time in some in some in some ways. And the book ends ends with that. Uh, and, and there's a sort of like, uh, I don't know, kind of like paganism that runs through the book that I think I, I started writing in that, in that way in, uh, in mission work. You know, there was this major collision of Christianity and then more, um, and, then, and, and then other ways of thinking that are always kind of swimming around in my head. And, and the, this book is a, a real working out of that. Um, maybe I'll, can, can yeah. I, I'll read that last poem. Yeah, please do. Honeycomb. This poem is called Honeycomb, and it, it uh, hopefully brings together many of the different lines uh, of, the, of, the, of the book. So let's find that. So, Honeycomb. Here is the dream where dust gathered and blowing over the field turns suddenly against the wind and moves with the shape of a body. Here the shape of a body forms and reforms it is, as it crosses the sky, and then you hear it, the hum of the swarm, the resurrection of the will, heard first by the forest saints who fashioned sleep baskets of mud, dung, and straw to draw, hold, and harvest it. The black globes of the bees' eyes regard you as the earth does, which is barely at all an unflowering stalk in the field. In April, you are no Oregon grape, willow, or cottonwood. In May, no poison oak, buckbrush, or vine maple. Here are the stacked hives in the glade, row and white row of return. St. Augustine declared evil an absence of good, but an angel guards the gate back to the garden. Good is an absence, and here below her gaze, life rises from the dust, root conspiring with raindrop, flower with stamen, these tiny messengers passing secrets between them. Soon now, autumn will arrive, the emergency be upon us. Soon the combs will overflow with honey. Soon we pagan priests must put on our acraments and enter the glade. Fill it with the smoke of our censers. Bewilder the bees and blind the eyes of the angel. Uh, one feature of this poem is that it actually echoes the, the, um, the last poem here of my second and most recent book, echoes the first poem of my first book, which is a take on the angel guarding, guarding the gate to Eden. Um, can I read that poem? Sure. That, that would be a that would be a, a, a good way to frame this. Um, sure. th this is the last poem in my of my last book, and this is the first poem in my first book. And there is a you'll you'll hear the the, the angel is is uh, in this poem as well. So this is called Chimbu Wedding. When the villagers stake out a hundred pigs and two men wade in with clubs, watch how they float, cold as light out of heaven above the scene. When the pigs scream and buckle with their skulls caved in, remember that not one thing in this world will be spared. Not one leaf, not one hair on a child's head. See the women hauling rocks to the fire pits, the boys kneeling to collect blood and banana leaves, and think of St. Peter's vision, cloven-hoofed creatures descending on a sheet. 
the sky saying, take, eat. Learn to sit in the smoke with hunger sated as children play with bladders they've inflated like balloons. Learn a new language for fellowship. And when you walk home through the fields, see if you can translate the gloam-wrapped mountains whisper as come. Then, if there is a place prepared for the saints, you will know which way to turn at the crossroads. You will not trouble the angel at the garden gate for a way past her sword. You will not remember what blood washed you clean. So, yeah, and there's a kind of uh, um, collision there of a kind of, um, of Christianity and then other things. And there's this emblem of, um, you know, the, the, the angel, which is standing at the gates of paradise and preventing us from ever going back. And that's, a, a, I think, a persistent metaphor or symbol uh, in a lot of my poems, actually, in a new project I'm working on, I, I saw the angel come back. <laughs> I'm becoming William Blake, you know, and seeing and talking to angels now. <laughs> so, so we've already talked about Wallace Stevens. You just mentioned William Blake. Uh, are the, so, tell us some of the other poets who have influenced you. Oh, Emily Dickinson uh, and Hart Crane is um, kind of my guiding light. A lot of times, I just love I love the work. Uh, and, um, you know, besides Wallace Stevens, I, I, I kind of uh, grew up reading a lot of like Pacific Northwest poets, you know, mm -hmm. being from kind of rural Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I remember uh, kind of cutting my teeth on like Richard Hugo and Carolyn Kaiser and, um, you know, uh, Retke, uh, uh, so Northwest poets and some of, my, some of my teachers at Central Washington University as well. Uh, and, you know, uh, Joseph Powell and um, Philip Garrison uh, and Mark Halperin, not the novelist, but the, the poet. Um, and people like that really meant something, you know, very important to me when I was also, also I could interact with them, like I could see them walking across the, the quad. So th 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 their work, you know, I, I read and reread it. And um, I was just talking to um, um, the MFA students here about Oregon poets and the first poet I ever met in real life was a, a guy named Vern Ritzala, who taught uh, taught out here, and um, I think he taught at uh, Lewis and Clark. And I remember just being in awe of a real poet. You know, he actually wrote books, and he's coming down to earth to talk to us. And that's how I used to feel about poets and poets. Now I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah. Um, there's so many things to ask you about. So you you spoke about the kind of pagan thing that's happening in some of the poems. So say a little bit, and it was cl clear from both of those poems that you read, about the importance of place and nature in mm -hmm. your work. Yeah, I feel like um, the, the natural world, uh, you know, the, the kind of stripping away of civilization and the kind of return to some like primal energy is, is uh, uh, refreshing and energizing. Um, and I think like uh, living in, um, a, a, a beautiful place like um, you know, Washington State and or, or in Oregon, Pacific Northwest, but also Papua New Guinea, uh, hit me somewhere. You know, it caused a, um, it, it caused a, a, a reaction. I mean, the 
thing now of like of William Wordsworth, you know, that everything was appareled and celestial delight, you know, and and now fled is the vision in the dream, and I'm trying to get past the angel apparently. Um, but but yeah, no, it's very important. It's it, it's um, and it, it it works in some like mysterious way, uh, some with some somewhat like outside of language, and 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 a, a kind of like fundamental reality that then. Uh, when you approach it with language and the inner self and the imagination, like weird things happen and interesting things happen that could only happen to you is what's so exciting to me about the enterprise is that, 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 that I'm here in this place at this time uh, experiencing the natural world uh, and bring to it my, my, my identity, my family history, who I am, and then something is happening in this sort of alchemic strange way and the, a poem is going to arise from it and it's it's all it's I've been doing this now for a couple decades and it's always surprising to me what 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 comes up you know I'm I that's how I feel like I'm kind of like fishing and just seeing what I can pull up out of the depths and it's you know exciting and and scary and sad and joyful all the time it's just it's an adventure <laughs> so um, another question that I always ask poets is about form Mm-hmm. So when you're writing, I mean, you've just described poetry through the the analogy of fishing. Yes. Um, and you've you've spoken of it a couple of times as you know something that has its own agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you think about form in relationship to that agency? Does the does the form also present itself to you as well as the content? Uh, writing the poem is trying to find its form uh, for me, uh, and I feel uh, that that you you there's no better use of your time, you know, as a poet in the, in the early stages and probably continue always it's a, it's a study form to study prosody um, and for, for me that and, and other people have their own practices or, around this uh, this question um, but for me I, I, I try to like learn everything I can and then forget it in the act of writing you know like I'm not I'm not sitting there scanning my poems as, I, as I'm writing but I'm hearing it uh, and uh, I I'll only apply um, that kind of uh, scansion and, and kind of analysis of my own work when I'm trying to solve, figure out why why the thing isn't working, you know, um, that's 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 uh, that's my approach to it. Yeah, but form is I, I think it's I think it's uh, uh, fundamental, um, and I think you know the, the poetry has has a history that it you can't you. You can ignore your own peril when it comes to those those issues. I, I think in those questions, I mean, learning everything you can about form can't hurt you, in my opinion. <laughs> so, um, in the poem "Rural: A Special Scene," mm-hmm. the phrase "posthumous noon" comes up. Yes. Um, why is that the title of the volume? I like the word combination. Uh, uh, the the, the easiest way to answer it, but there was also there's something about it that captures I think the the theme and the essence of the book for me, which is the um, um, and I, I spoke to that a little bit uh, and we talked about the Wallace Stevens poem is the kind of um, you know um, I feel like kind of kind of kind of the way you kind of sort of approach the confusion of 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 uh, being suddenly dislocated in, in, in your life and being uh, cut off from the past. Uh, and I think the um, illumination, the brightness of, of noon uh, feels like life. It feels like uh, 
like uh, you know a, a happy summer day or something and then you remember well it's my dad's dead you know and it's a bright sunny day and everyone's happy wearing their shorts and flip-flops and here I am and my dad's in the ground you know and and so it got to that um, yeah. and that's uh, the best yeah. <laughs> I can I can where I can answer that good, good. Um, so um, you are, in addition to being a poet, you are a teacher of poetry. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about how you approach that? Yes. Um, I, love, I love teaching. It always, I think it keeps me honest. It always puts me back on um, my fundamentals. You know, I'm always uh, having to think about, like, um, why are we doing this? And why is this person doing it? Uh, and what can, I, um, what can I offer them to, to make this uh, an experience like I've had, which is one of discovery and, and um, recognition of some part of yourself and language and, and in the art form. Uh, so I, I, I feel like I'm trying to do what I, you know, in my, on my good days, what my teachers that I ha had did for me. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. I have so many really fascinating people that I get to meet through teaching. Um, and I get to give them and share with them this this gift of poetry, and uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> so we're getting close to our time. I know you have a new poem that you offered to read, and oh, we'd love to hear that as well. Yes, thank you, and thanks for inviting me. This has been fun. Uh, and this poem is called The Pacific Northwest Logging Industry, a Coda. Uh, my people, my family were uh, you know, loggers and ranchers, and this is... Um, I think in addition to me sort of leaving that world in some ways, that, that world doesn't exist for anybody anymore. <laughs> so this poem is kind of about that. Uh, so the Pacific Northwest logging industry, a coda. The PV jaws a jazz age swinging hook. Now husk varnas rasp and roar above the skitter's diesel cough. Apocalypse of the late west. So sing the chainsaws of late summer. Ripe blackberry, soft cottonwood, the winches gentle whir. In the Morton loggers jubilee, I'm bull of the woods, three years running. Echoes spool up green interiors. Beneath great engines, the cascade mountains clutch and shake. Cables choir around the spar tree draw harvest to his lordship's hill, and all the north is his arena." Do you want to say something about the sound of that poem? Yeah, it's very involved. It's, um, I'm trying to be musical with my uh, word choices uh, and the theme of jazz and the, the, the PV jaw, if you, anybody knows logging implements, it's, the, it's a pole with a middle uh, you know, spike and then the swinging hook and you, you pull uh, trees off of the pile with it. And move it around and now you know the husk the husk varnas to me are more rock and roll you know they they rasp and roar it's not jazz uh, so yeah there was a lot of uh, um, uh, involvement there with with sound and, and I'm, I'm becoming more interested in that and in, in, in all of my work um, I think it's maybe there in uh, some of the uh, earlier poems but I take that very uh, far less casually now I'm very <laughs> tuned to that I hope yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's striking in that poem. Um, uh, have you read anything recently that you would recommend? Well, um, 
besides like Wallace Stevens, Hart Crane, and Emily Dickinson, uh, I can think of a couple book, recent books that I think are, are, are really worth checking out. Uh, a, a book called Wreck by the poet Les Leslie Harrison. Uh, and I think it's uh, with, a, with an eye for detail in, in the natural world and the sort of um, infusions also of like abstraction and philosophy. She's really a sharp writer, really, really terrific poems. I recommend that. And uh, also a, a, a fairly recent book by the poet Sean Singer. It's called Today in the Taxi, which is uh, experiences of driving a cab in New York and just the human interactions you have very in a very short, the poems are short, kind of prose poems, and, and they kind of mirror the, the, the quickness um, and quickness in which a lot of things happen. And I think even the po prose poems, which I don't write, but I admire, um, are, are, I think, good vehicles for that. So I, I recommend that. It's, uh, it's called Today in the Taxi by, uh, by Sean Singer. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to thank speak you. with us, to share some of your work with us. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise, thank you. I've been speaking with the poet Aaron Baker, author of the collection Posthumous Noon. Baker gave a reading at the University of Oregon on February 14, 2024, as a guest of the Creative Writing Program. Thanks so much for watching.